Well, thank you, worship team, for leading us in those wonderful songs. Uh, Happy New Year. You may be seated. Congratulations on making it through another year. You know, you don't have to do it well, you just have to do it. And you've done it. You're here. We've, we've made it by God's grace. Uh, it's the beginning of a new year, beginning of 2023. It's always an opportunity during this, this time to uh, look back at all that God has brought you through in the past year, all the ways that he was faithful, uh, all the things that he's taught us uh, in good times and in tough times, uh, all the ways that we can give thanks to him. Uh, it's also an opportunity as we look forward uh, to look at the year ahead and to ask questions, right? To ask, uh, how are you going to spend the hours and the days that God gives you? How are you going to apply the lessons that he taught you this last year, right? Because I'm, I'm sure if you're like me, there have been those lessons uh, that he taught you, uh, things that you've, you're learning, things that you, you want to be different. So how will you apply those lessons that he taught you? How are you going to treat the other people in your life? Uh, how are you going to seek to grow in the love and knowledge of Christ? Uh, what is going to shape your life in 2023? Uh, well, with those questions in mind, would you listen as I read our passage for this morning, Psalm 122, and then after I read, I will pray for our time in his word. Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we come before you at the start of another year, and we are thankful for your faithfulness and goodness to us. Uh, we're thankful, Lord, that as we look back over the past year uh, at all the, the joys and triumphs, all the, the sorrows and defeats, uh, God, that you are uh, victorious, uh, your will is being done, uh, you are good and faithful, uh, Lord, in all the things going on, uh, Lord, all we can do is, is praise you and worship you, Lord. Uh, who can find fault with you when it's all said and done? We're thankful for that. We're thankful that uh, we serve an all-powerful, almighty, and all-loving God. Uh, Lord, I pray for this morning as we look into your word, as we um, consider what it means to go to the house of the Lord, that the honor and the privilege that it is to be invited by you, God, into your house would sink into our minds and our hearts, that we would uh, just see what, a, what an amazing privilege it is, Lord, what a blessing it is uh, that you, uh, the eternal almighty God, um, would be our father, that you would call us children, uh, that you would uh, adopt us into your family. We're grateful for that. Uh, so Lord, give us uh, encouragement and a clarity from your word. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so what's going to shape your life in 2023? 
beginning today and for the next few weeks, we're going to be going through a sermon series on the church. Uh, so this morning with Psalm 122, we're going to be looking at the significance of going to the house of the Lord. And then Pastor Eric, over the next few weeks, he's going to have some other uh, sermons that he'll be preaching kind of on uh, what it is to be the church, what, what the Bible teaches about the church. Uh, so with Psalm 122, uh, we'll be looking at going to the house of the Lord. And as we do so, I want to encourage you to consider how going to the house of the Lord or participating in the life of the church might shape your life in the year ahead. I encourage you to consider how the rhythm of your week might be in sync with the prayers and worship of the church, how the patterns of your thought might match the teachings of the church, and how the, the actions of your life might correspond with the ministry of the church, right? So how can our lives be shaped by the life and ministry of the church that God has us in. Uh, psalm 122 is a psalm of ascents, it says, as in ascending, going up. Uh, that means that it was a psalm that was sung by the people of Israel when they made pilgrimages to Jerusalem, when they ascended up to the city. It was, it was on a hill, a city on a hill. So when they ascended up to the city for one of the annual feasts, or celebrations. It might have been for the Passover feast. It might have been for the Feast of Weeks at the end of the harvest when they would go after they'd brought in all the, har all the harvest, all the crops, and then go uh, offer some of it before the Lord and give thanks to him for his abundant pr provision. So there were several opportunities or times throughout the year when Israel would gather together at Jerusalem. And as they would gather together, uh, they would sing these psalms of ascent. That's, that's the intended purpose of those psalms. So this Psalm 122, uh, it praises Jerusalem as the royal city of David, and then it prays at the end for its peace, uh, for the peace and security of the city. Uh, so if, if you look in the psalm, you'll see that it has a lot to say about Jerusalem, the city. But actually, I think the primary focus of the psalm isn't on the city, Jerusalem itself, but the primary focus seems to be on the temple or the house of God, the house of the Lord, which is mentioned in the first verse and then again in the last verse. So for all the splendor of Jerusalem, for the, all the greatness of it, the most important thing, the greatest thing about it is, that it is that the house of the Lord is within its walls. So as we look at Psalm 122, we're going to consider some blessings and then responsibilities that come with going to the house of the Lord. Uh, so as we look at that, here's kind of my main point for this morning. God's people are glad to go to his house and should seek its good. Uh, so I kind of pulled the wording of that pretty much straight from the psalm itself, but God's people are glad to go to his house and should seek its good. Uh, so in, in a minute here, I'm going to give three reasons why we are glad to go to his house. Uh, those are kind of the blessings, right? The good things that we receive by going to the house of God. And then I'm going to talk about kind of how and why we should seek its good, right? The responsibilities that come with going to the house of the Lord. 
However, uh, before I do that, before I talk about the blessings and responsibilities of going to the house of the Lord, I want to take some time and just say a little bit about the connection between the temple in Jerusalem as the house of the Lord, uh, which is what we see in Psalm 122, and then the church as the house of God today. So I want to uh, yeah, just say a little bit about how we can connect those, those two things uh, through scripture. So let's begin there. That's my first kind of main, main point. Number one, the church is the house of the Lord. When we read Psalm 122, we are immediately taken back to ancient Israel. We are pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem. We find ourselves in the city gates during one of the great feasts, right? We are in the royal courts of David with the 12 tribes of Israel. The house of the Lord here is the temple of Solomon with the Holy of Holies inside, right? That's where Psalm 122 takes us. But we look in the New Testament, if we look in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus has an important conversation with a Samaritan woman about that house and about the worship that took place in it. Uh, let me just read an excerpt uh, from that conversation Jesus has with the Samaritan woman, uh, beginning in John 4, verse 20, uh, where the woman is speaking to Jesus. Uh, so this is John 4, verses 20 through 23. The Samaritan woman says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. There's a lot going on in that conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Uh, but I just want to point out uh, what Jesus has to say uh, about the temple. So Israel's worship of God, as commanded by God through the law of Moses, Israel's worship was centered around the temple. But then Jesus comes along and he basically decentralizes the worship of God. It's no longer tied to that specific building in Jerusalem. It's no longer tied to a specific ge geographical location. Instead, as we look in the New Testament, we see that it teaches that the house of God, and we're used to this, but this is kind of strange, the house of God is now made of people. Right? The house of God isn't made of stone or wood. The house of God, it's a living house. It's a house that's made of people. It's, the, it's a house made of the church. Uh, so 2 Corinthians 6.16 says that we are a temple or the temple of the living God. And then listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So that's the house of God. That's the temple of God. It's comprised of living stones. It's made up of us as members of the church. So this new house that Jesus initiates, this new house that Jesus talks about with that woman, it has many advantages over the old house, the old temple in Jerusalem. It's portable and adaptable. 
Uh, it can be taken to all the nations in obedience to the Great Commission. It can be established wherever the gospel is preached and wherever the gospel is believed. As long as there are God's people there, his house can be built there. His temple is there where his presence is made known, where his people can come and worship him. So because of that, uh, we can join in its worship more frequently. Right? It can be a more normal part of the routine of our days and of our weeks. We don't have to go on a pilgrimage uh, to a holy place to meet with God. He's with us. He's here with us now wherever we go. As the book of Hebrews tells us, we as the church, uh, in comparison to Israel, have a better priest, we have a better sacrifice, we have a better altar, and we have a better city. We have to admit, though, that there are some pretty cool things, some pretty wonderful things about worship at that temple in Jerusalem, in ancient Jerusalem, that we miss out on. Uh, when Solomon showed the splendor of Jerusalem to the queen of Sheba, the Bible says that she was breathless. She's already a queen, and yet she sees the magnificence of this city, and she's breathless. We don't get to experience that firsthand. We don't get to uh, get caught up in the crowd and the, the wonder, the amazement of all that's going on in one of those ancient celebrations. Um, we don't get to see what she saw. One commentator contrasted the glorious celebrations of Israel back then with our routine church services today. And this is what he said, the words of the psalm do not fit most of the modern experiences of attending a worship service. And I'm like, well, that's kind of disappointing, but it's kind of true as well, right? Um, because we can gather together as the house of God uh, so frequently, so regularly, uh, with such familiarity, uh, there, there's kind of that temptation for familiarity to breed contempt, where we lose the wonder, the, the privilege, the uniqueness of being the house of God, of gathering together in his presence to worship him and know him because it's now so freely accessible to us. But that temple, uh, with whatever advantages, uh, with whatever beauty and splendor it had, it was destroyed about 40 years after the resurrection of Christ, as he predicted in, in the year 70 AD. So the temple and the city Back then, they were glorious, but they were just passing shadows. They weren't the real thing. So we can't go back to them, and we don't want to go back to them. So the church today, as the house of God, has advantages over that ancient house of God. But we also want to remember that the church today is not yet the final form of the house of God. In fact, if you look in the, in the book of Revelation, particularly at the closing chapters, you'll find the language and the imagery of Psalm 122 all over the place. If you look in Revelation, as in Psalm 122, you'll see that there are gates and walls. You'll see that there are thrones and judgments. There's a new Jerusalem filled with peace and security. And so for you and I today, as members of the church, we are pilgrims ascending with Christ up to that eternal house, up to the house of the Lord that's described in Revelation. So as Christians today, we look back at the house of God in Psalm 122 because it points us forward to that eternal house 
what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5.1 as a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So that's ultimately the house of God that we are traveling towards, the house of God that we will one day enter in through its gates. So number one there, the church is the house of God. Uh, Now let's look at some of the blessings of his house. Let's look at why we as Christians are glad to gather together as the church, why we're glad to go to the house of the Lord. So number two, God's people are glad to go to his house because it is a house of refuge, worship, and judgment. So the psalm begins in verse 1 by saying, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And then the psalmist gives what we might consider a rather ideal description of Jerusalem. Uh, You you might even think about it as a bit naive. Um, If you know much about the history of Jerusalem and the temple, you know how rarely Jerusalem, you know how, how rarely the temple lived up to the ideal that's described here in Psalm 122. Likewise, uh, if you've ever spent much time at an actual church with real people, you know that it also rarely lives up uh, to the ideal uh, that Scripture calls it to be. Uh, You know, when I was a teenager uh, at, at my church in Kansas City, a bunch of us were playing basketball in the church gym uh, just kind of goofing around, and as you would expect with a bunch of teenagers, a bunch of boys, we were, we were pretty rough with each other, pushing each other around, having a lot of fun, uh, by no means obeying the rules of the, of the game. Uh, but as far as me and all of my friends were concerned, it was all just in good fun, right? We were all just goofing around. And then out of nowhere, all of a sudden, uh, one of the youth leaders just, just snapped and just came at me, pushing me and yelling at me and threatening me. Um, you know, just trying to provoke me to a fight as if I was, um, as if I was, I don't know, trying to provoke him to a fight or something like that. And just had a lot of pretty mean words to say to me, a lot of, a lot of anger that, that came out towards me. And it was really just out of nowhere, right? I was just kind of a kid innocently, innocently goofing around and uh, just confusing. I didn't know, I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know kind of why he was so mad, why he was treating me. Uh, that way, but, but it, was, uh, it was kind of this, this acute experience of just kind of some hurt and confusion um, as a kid at church, you know, just goofing around, uh, messing, messing around with other kids. I, I've had other hurts and disappointments throughout the years as well as I think about church. Uh, one story that popped into my mind uh, was when Casey and I were newly married, uh, we were preparing to go overseas on the mission field uh, and a, a guy from the church we were going to at the time, he reached out to us and said he, he you know, had an interest in us, wanted to help us raise the support that we needed. Uh, so we were honored that he took this interest in us. Uh, we were eager to kind of uh, glean from him some wisdom and ha- have him help us out. And then we got together with him and found out that he just wanted us to join in on some, uh, some business that he had selling long-distance calling cards. Uh, and you know, his sales pitch was that through that, uh, we, we could uh, make the money that we needed uh, to, to go overseas. In fact, he even, he even was kind of insulting towards the church, saying, no, you don't want to trust other people. You don't want to put yourself out there like that. Like, come join me in this business. And, uh, you know, I could have been on the ground floor of a calling card business um, with all the money you make doing that these days. No. Uh, <laughs> um, right, but it, it, was, it was disappointing. I mean, it wasn't... Um, 
It wasn't completely devastating for Casey and I, but it just kind of felt a little disappointing. It felt like this guy uh, was taking advantage of us in the situation that we were in. Um, I'm sure most of you could share similar stories. Uh, perhaps some of you could share uh, stories uh, that, that are much worse than that um, about the church and about kind of the, the stuff that goes on, uh, the, the damage that can be caused in the house of God. Uh, so we want to remember uh, that the church is not yet the perfect house of God. As, as we talk about the blessings of going to the house of the Lord, uh, we are aware of its current weaknesses and imperfections. Uh, so we don't want to overly idealize the church, but we also don't want to be overly cynical about the church either. Uh, Christ has established his church. He's the head and we are the members. He's established his church and he's given it to us as the mean, means by which he encourages us and nourish, nourishes us in the Christian life uh, on our way to that new Jerusalem. So you know that youth leader at the church mistreated me, uh, but thankfully the pastor and my friends and some other key people at that church helped bring resolution to that situation uh, so that bitterness and anger didn't take root in my heart. Uh, the, guy, the guy at that other church may have misled Casey and I a bit, uh, but many others, so many others from that church uh, graciously supported us, and they did so with, with genuine interest in us, with care and sincerity for us as we went out into the mission field. You know, according to Deuteronomy 12, the main thing that was supposed to characterize the people of Israel when they gathered together for worship was joy. So three times in Deuteronomy 12, Moses tells the people, as they're going uh, to worship God, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all that you undertake. And then in Psalm 122, verse 1, when the psalmist says, I was glad, it's the same word that sometimes is translated as rejoice. Right? So he says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Uh, or for us, I rejoiced when my parents told me that it was time to get up and go to church. I rejoiced when I had already been up for four hours with the baby and now had to get us all cleaned up and out the door. Yeah, not quite, right? <laughs> That's not quite what happens. Uh, getting yourself and your family to church doesn't always bring immediate joy. It's, uh, sometimes it's just chaotic. I was in a, in my family growing up, there were five of us kids and Sunday mornings were like pure chaos mixed with a little bit of malice. That's how I would describe my family, right? Just, just you know, showers, running out of hot water, people stealing the bathroom, articles of clothing disappearing, and then just like, you know, ways me and my brothers would be mean to each other and, you know, provoke each other, all sorts of things um, on our way to church, on our, on our way um, to worship God. Uh, I'm sure for, for many of you, your families had, have had similar experiences. It takes a lot of effort to get ourselves here, but we persist for some reason. We keep doing it week after week for one reason or another. And I think if we look here in Psalm 122, we can find some of those reasons why we persist, why we endure, why we keep going to church expressed in this psalm. 
Uh, so first, as we look, and I don't think these subpoints are going to be up on the screen, uh, but first, uh, kind of point A, we persist in going to the house of God because God's house is a refuge for weary pilgrims. When you get a chance, I encourage you to read Psalms 120 and 121, basically as preludes to Psalm 122. Uh, so Psalm 122 describes the end of the pilgrimage when we are in Jerusalem enjoying its peace and security. But Psalm 120 is set in a foreign land. Psalm 120 and 121 are also Psalms of Ascent. So in Psalm 120, it's set in a foreign land, and there the psalmist is in distress. He's surrounded by enemies. He's surrounded by those who hate peace. Then in Psalm 121, the psalmist finds himself in the wilderness, looking far off to the hills to see where God's help is going to come from. But then with the beginning of Psalm 122, he's now in his own land, uh, with the other people of God who know him and support him. He's, he's a weary pilgrim who's happy to go with other weary pilgrims up to the city of David to the protection and the rest that, hit, that it provides. And now they've arrived. His feet are standing within its gates. Uh, so, and that's what he says in verses 2 and 3. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. So these gates refer to more than just like the actual gates that might swing open and shut. It refers to a, a large area around the gates, around the city walls, a place that would be filled with important people and a lot of activity going on. And so you can imagine an Israelite from a small faraway village coming into the city for the first time, entering its gates, and then just admiring its strength and its beauty and its symmetry. It reminds me of a scene in the Gospels uh, where there's this line where the disciples uh, just kind of, like, like a, they nudge Jesus and they, they point out to him the, the buildings of the temple. And then Jesus takes that opportunity uh, to talk to them about the coming destruction of the temple. Uh, but it's as if the disciples are like, Jesus, look at this building. This is pretty, pretty impressive. And it was, it was an impressive building um, with all of it, like I said, all of its strength and beauty and symmetry. That's what verse 3 seems to be talking about when it says it's a city bound firmly together. Uh, that, that verse reminds me of a passage in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, verses 20 and 21, where the Apostle Paul describes the church as being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So we're glad to come to church. We're glad to put forth the effort because the church is a place of rest and rejuvenation. Throughout the week, the enemy attacks us. He seeks to steal our joy and disrupt our peace. We're soiled by the defilements of this world. We lose our way. We become discouraged and other things begin to shape our lives. Things that shouldn't be shaping our lives uh, start in subtle and maybe even unnoticed ways uh, influencing us, right? Pulling our hearts and our affections in directions that they shouldn't be being pulled. And then th through that, uh, we begin being conformed to the pattern of this world. So we come to the house of God to be transformed. We come to the house of God to be reformed on, a, on, on an ongoing basis into the image of Christ. It's where we are washed 
by the water of his word. It's where we are reminded of the holiness of God and the forgiveness of sins. It's where we find shelter from the winds of the world. When Casey and I were in Kazakhstan, I may have shared this story before, but there was a, uh, a young Muslim girl who became a Christian through our ministry, and uh, she would come to our Bible studies, uh, but her family didn't like that she was a Christian. Uh, her father, in particular, uh, said lots of cruel things to her, mistreated her in a number of ways. So she would actually uh, tell her parents that she was going to the library to do homework and instead snuck off to go to a Bible study. Um, and so one time, I think it was Casey asked her, like, why do you do that? Ba basically, like, if your parents are so hard on you, uh, if they mistreat you so severely, why do you keep coming uh, why, why do you take the risks that you're taking in order to be here with us? And uh, the girl's response was basically, I have to come here. This is the place where I'm fed, right? This is the place where I'm encouraged. This is the place where I get to meet with Jesus. Uh, this is what makes it possible for me to endure all the other stuff in my life that I'm going through. And so the, the church, we're glad to come to the church. We're glad to come to the house of God because it's a refuge for weary pilgrims. Uh, next, point B, uh, we're glad to go to the house of the Lord because God's house is where his family gathers for worship. God's house is where his family gathers for worship. According to verse 4, it was decreed or commanded that the tribes of Israel would go up to Jerusalem to give thanks to the name of the Lord. And giving thanks, as it's conveyed here, has to do with more than simply expressing gratitude. Uh, instead, giving thanks involves all of our worship, all the ways that we confess the greatness of God and confess our need for him as our Lord and Savior. So Israel gathered regularly at the temple in Jerusalem for worship during those appointed feasts. If we look in the book of Acts, it's interesting to see that the church also uh, gathered at first uh, around the temple or, or in the temple in Jerusalem as well. You see that in Acts 5.12. So those were the early days, the early weeks of the church. But then as time went on and as persecutions hit, the church was scattered and they were forced to worship in different cities and in different buildings. But this is what's important is that the worship of the church continued. Uh, they continued uh, worshiping Christ, celebrating his resurrection from the dead on the first day of the week as they had been doing. So the sacrifices and the worship of the temple stopped a few years after the start of the church when the temple was destroyed. But the church took up this new form of worship uh, with the Lord's Supper, uh, which was done in celebration of Christ's sacrifice, along with prayers and songs and instruction from Scripture. And that's basically the pattern that we as the church want to maintain today. So all those tribes of Israel, they came together in one city because they were all children of Abraham. They were all descendants of Jacob. And then we come together as the church because we also are children of Abraham, uh, though the New Testament says that we are children of Abraham by faith, uh, because we have faith in the same God uh, that he trusted in. Uh, so we, as the church, have been adopted into the family of God. We've been welcomed into his house. 
you know, throughout the years, Casey and I have been uh, at a number of churches. We've been at churches where we truly felt like we were part of a family. Uh, we've also been at churches uh, where we wondered where we got our invisible suits from and why we put them on every Sunday morning before we went to church because it was as if people couldn't even see us. Uh, they paid no attention to us. Uh, churches where we just always, always felt like outsiders, uh, never quite felt entirely comfortable. Uh, sometimes it went that way because the church itself maybe had some problems. Uh, sometimes it happened because, you know, we had our own problems uh, that, that were manifesting themselves there. And sometimes it was just a struggle and we never quite knew why it was that way. Uh, you know, when our family first moved here to Lombard many years ago, uh, we were visiting churches and uh, I remember the morning that we were planning on coming to Hope Fellowship, uh, but one of our kids was sick. I wasn't feeling well either. Uh, so I stayed home. Uh, Casey and the other two kids came. And uh, when she got home, I remember she uh, came up to our bedroom, uh, woke me up, and she said, uh, listen, I, I, I know that we're going to decide together which church we're going to go to and all that stuff, but we're going to go to Hope Fellowship. Um, the, the people were so welcoming and kind and caring. Uh, so we visited again the next week, and sure enough, uh, we stayed. Uh, we were welcomed, and we were treated like family, and we've been so grateful for that. But I know that's not always the case. I know that like a normal family, uh, relationships can sometimes be strained. I know that we can sometimes feel like strangers in our own house. Uh, so let me just encourage you uh, to, be, to be grateful to God when he gives you a church body where you truly feel at home, and then to just be patient when he doesn't. All right, when he doesn't, be like Abraham. Uh, it says that he lived in the land of promise as a foreigner, waiting to receive what had been promised. So we come together, we're grateful to go to the house of God because it's the place where God's family comes together to worship him, uh, and then point C, God's people are also glad to go to his house because God's house is where his people come to know his judgments. God's house is where his people come to know his judgments. So according to verse 5, thrones of judgment are set in Jerusalem, uh, the thrones of the house of David. And, you know, you think about that, the very fact that there were thrones of judgment set in Jerusalem when all the people came together meant that amongst the different peoples, amongst the different tribes of Israel, there were disagreements, right? There was sometimes disunity within the house of Israel. There were disputes that weren't resolved, disputes that needed to be brought to the capital city, brought to the leaders there to be resolved. So we need to come together as a family to worship, but as we come together as a family, we also uh, have ways, we need ways of resolving disagreements and problems in line with the teachings of Scripture. Sometimes those disputes or disagreements are amongst ourselves. Sometimes, often, it has to do with how we should live as the church in relation to the world around us. So in 1 Kings 7, 7, it says that Solomon made a hall of the throne where he was to pronounce judgment, even the hall of judgment, uh, there where it's describing Solomon building up the royal city of Jerusalem. And then later in 2 Chronicles 19.8, it says, Moreover, in Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat, another king, appointed certain Levites and priests and heads of family of Israel to give judgment for the Lord 
and to decide disputed cases. You know, perhaps the most famous judgment in ancient Israel was the one that Solomon made uh, with those two women who came to him arguing, arguing over which one of them was truly the mother of the baby. If you remember, Solomon uh, just said, you know what? Cut the baby in two and give half to this woman and half to the other woman. And uh, the real mother, when she heard that decision from Solomon, she said, no, like don't touch the baby, don't harm the baby. The other woman, she can have her. And then Solomon said, give the baby to her. Don't harm the baby. This is the real mother because she cared more about the baby's life than being right or proving a point with this other woman. I think also of all the judgments that Jesus made when he was in and around Jerusalem during his earthly ministry. Uh, Jesus never sat on one of those official thrones of judgment in Jerusalem, but he constantly had people coming to him with their legal and theological and ethical questions, and they were asking him uh, for his judgments. They were asking him uh, what he had to say about matters. Sometimes they did it maliciously. Sometimes they did it trying to trap him, but, but often they came to him with sincerity, and usually they didn't like the answer that they got from him, uh, right? So think about the Sadducees who didn't believe in life, life after death, so they asked Jesus about marriage and the resurrection. Uh, think about the man who asked Jesus to help settle a dispute between him and his brother over their inheritance, right, money. Uh, think of the rich young ruler who wanted to know what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. I uh, think also of the uh, epistles in the New Testament, I think in, in particular of 1 Corinthians, where the Corinthian church had all these different problems, all these different matters that they were asking the Apostle Paul about. And so there are sections within 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul is saying basically like, now in regards to this matter, here's what I have to say. In regard to this matter, here's what I have to say. Uh, on and on he goes, helping them make judgments, helping them know the judgments of God. And likewise... That's what the church should be. The church, not the, right, not that the church should be judgmental. That's not what we mean, right? But the church should be a place where we can come to learn God's judgment, judgments. We live in a world where it's not always easy to tell the difference between good and evil, wisdom and folly, love and hatred, truth and falsehood. But when we come together as the people of God, when we listen to the word of God, when we're praying for each other, bearing each other's burdens, we can find answers to tough questions. We can find clarity in confusing situations. So we're glad to come to the house of the Lord uh, because it is a refuge for weary pilgrims. It's where God's family gathers together for worship and it's where we can come to know his judgments about this world and about how we should live in obedience to him. So those are the blessings of going to the house of the Lord. And now let's look at the responsibility that comes with being there. Uh, so my third point, uh, God's people should seek the good of the church for the sake of others. So in verses six through nine uh, in Psalm 122, the Psalm really changes gears. It shifts from admiring the present beauty and power of Jerusalem to longing for its future peace and security. Uh, the psalmist doesn't take the current state of Jerusalem for granted, right? When he's there, things are going well. It's a secure, firm, well-built city. People are there. There are these thrones for judgment. Uh, but he knows that 
It's not necessarily always going to be that way. He knows that there are attacks from outside the walls. Uh, he knows that from even within the walls of the city, the peace and the harmony can be sabotaged. So he seeks for the good of Jerusalem. And you and I, we are invited to seek for the good of Jerusalem as well. Uh, we're given this command to pray for its peace, right? Praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And on one level, you think about that command to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we can take it quite literally. Uh, we can pray for the peace of the city of Jerusalem today, uh, that city that's uh, so often been disturbed by war and violence and turmoil. We can pray that its, its present inhabitants would come to know the peace of Christ, right? that his peace would reign in their hearts. But we can also pray for the peace of the church in whatever city or whatever place it's found, right? If the, uh, if the psalmist prays for the peace of Jerusalem for the sake of the house of the Lord that's there, then as we think about our current status as the church, if we think about how we are the temple of God, uh, wherever we go, whatever city we may, we may live in, uh, there the temple of God is, wherever the church is gathering, uh, then we can pray for the peace of the church wherever it is. Uh, we can pray for the peace you know, right, of the church uh, in whatever place it's found. And that's one of the fundamental ways that we can seek its good. That's a responsibility that we have. Those of us who enjoy the peace and security of the church, those of us who enjoy its blessings, we can pray that that peace and that security uh, would continue. So let me invite you to do that. Uh, pray for the peace and security of the church at large and pray for the peace and security of our church in particular. Pray that it would be firmly established on the truth of the gospel. Pray that God would keep it united in truth and love, uh, that we would be like a city that's bound firmly together, or as it says in Ephesians 4, that we would be like a body that builds itself up in love, that, that's, that love would be what, what joins us together, right? That it would be the mortar of the city holding us together, uh, binding us to one another. Then we can also seek the good of the church, basically by working towards those things that we're praying for. If we're praying for the peace of the church, uh, let's work towards that. Uh, let's work towards that in uh, how we treat each other. Uh, let's work towards that in um, the judgments we make. And I realize that none of us are like sitting on thrones, right, pounding gavels, making official judgments. But when you get together in your mission group, and you're sharing about your lives, and you're offering advice to each other about how to proceed forward in your relationship with your in-laws or about the job you're looking at, right? We're making judgments with each other, or what do I do about this difficult situation? Or, I, or you see someone's kind of going off in a direction that they shouldn't be going. All right, that's, that's what it looks like in the church today to be making those judgments uh, with each other, amongst each other. Uh, so we want to be doing that in accordance with Scripture. We want to be doing that in love towards each other, right? Seeking a peace and harmony uh, in the church of God uh, so we can keep the gospel central to our relationships and worship. Or we can be kind and humble. Uh, we can be welcoming and loving, treating each other as members of the same family. And then finally, if we look in verse 8, we see why, uh, why we have this responsibility of seeking the good of the church seeking for its peace and security. 
and it's for the sake of others. And so it's in obedience to the second great commandment, right, to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, So it says that we seek peace and security for the sake of others, our brothers and companions. So the psalmist wants those who are with him and those who come after him to experience the same joy that he had. He wants their feet to stand where his were standing. He wants them to see what he's seen and experience what he's experiencing. And so likewise, for us as members of the house of God, we have a responsibility before Christ uh, and, and to each other to seek for the peace of the church, to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and have our lives mutually shaped by the life of the church. That's, that's what we want our lives to be shaped by in the year to come. Let me pray. Lord, would you bring peace to your church? Would you rule over us as a good and gracious king? Would you unite us in love? Would you make each one of us uh, know that we are members of the same family. Uh, each one of us, we, we, were all, we all begin as outsiders, and yet we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. None of us here has a higher or lower standing than anyone else. Uh, we are equal before you, Christ. Uh, we're grateful for that. We're grateful that you have given us uh, your church as a, a refuge when we are weary. We're grateful that you've given it as a place where we can gather to worship you, the true God, Uh, We're grateful that you've uh, given it as a place where we can um, know the straight path, uh, where we can walk in light and not in darkness. We're grateful for that. Uh, Would you establish this church? Would you give it uh, peace and security? We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.